0: John chapter ten. Yeah, I heard in, uh, in my office. I heard Juan uh, welcoming all the visitors, and so I too want to just welcome you. Right now, we're in the middle of studying the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we're doing our best to do it in chronological order. And uh, we're uh, in on his timeline during his life. Uh, we're only about a month away from him actually going and dying on the cross. That's how close he is facing the cross. might take us a, more than a couple months to get there, um, but nonetheless, we're following uh, some of his important teachings or towards the end of his life, some of these glorious passages that we just embrace. You know, Jesus um, shares with his disciples and with the religious leaders just month, a month before he was to, to die on the cross. Uh, But we find ourselves in John chapter 10, beginning with verse 22. I'm going to read the whole chapter, um, the rest of the chapter rather, and um, then we will stand and pray over the scriptures as we normally do. Uh, But we're really focusing on, on just one thought this morning. It goes and it starts in verse 22, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, and and he said, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones against, or again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him and said, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered and said to them, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. Notice small G there. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, the scriptures cannot be broken. Say ye of him whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world. Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the son of God. If I do the works of my father, believe me. If I do not do the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, then you believe me not because the, uh, the works. That ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in Him. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand, and went away before or beyond Jordan into a place where John uh, at first baptized, and there abode. And many resorted unto him, and said, John did no miracles, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed. On him, Let's stand together with Bible in hand, please. Father God, again, thank you for this book, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, we know according to the scriptures, there is the spoken word, Lord, and then there is the word. Thank you so much, Father, that we get to this morning to handle both. We pray as we read through this, God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us collectively. Lord. And as we, as we read through this text together, Lord, uh, may your Holy Spirit just etch it in the, the tablets of our hearts, Lord. And that when we leave this place this morning, Lord, we will take along with us that very word. We love you, God. And again, just ask for that anointing upon our minds and hearts to receive it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Just diving right into it. No, no long introduction. Jesus um, there in Jerusalem, the feast of um, dedication. uh, It's wintertime. Verse 22 there. Again, like the last several weeks, we are looking in the area of the temple, the temple area. But this time it's not the Feast of Tabernacles. It's during the Feast of Dedication. Again, I just want to remind you, though, as we continue to study that every time that John uses that word, the Jews, and we'll see it again in our text, uh, he's referring to the religious Jewish leaders. He's not just talking about the common person, though they are there. Uh, In this particular area, most likely, again, his audience will be Jewish men and Jewish women. I don't think he's too far from the courts of the women here. Um, We'll see that he's in what they call Solomon's porch in just a second here. Uh, Again, they're giving you a timeline uh, between verses 21 and 22, roughly um, two months and the way we know that is the the feast of tabernacles well that happens during octoberish that that time period and now we're into december so we know there's approximately about two months from our prior studies to where we're at here today um, this place again taking during the winter kind of gives us the sense that it's cold it might be damp and uh, again finding themselves at the Feast of Dedication, also known as the Feast of Hanukkah. Um, We're told in verse 24 again that he is surrounded uh, by the Jewish religious leaders uh, there in verse 24. If I could just jump ahead a little bit, then came the Jews around about him. Now we know that he's he's located on Solomon's porch according to verse 23. Now, to kind of give you a mind's eye picture, I really looked for some pictures to try to show you what this might have looked like, and you can come up with some some pictures of it. They really didn't do it justice. Um, Solomon's porch, close to the temple, uh, think of it as a courtyard, and on each end of the courtyard, or you might even say on each side of the courtyard. Uh, you had overhangs, and what upheld those overhangs were columns, about 180 columns, and they called them the Corinthian columns. Um, And again, I don't want to bore you with all the archaeology of this thing, but anyway, the reason for those overhangs was because, just like this, in the winter times, you know, to go up into the temple area, especially when we get close to the inner court, It would be a place for people to meander, to walk around. And it would be a place where the Jewish rabbis could also walk around. And if they wanted to take that place of teaching, they could do so. And this is where we find Jesus now. He is actually in um, Solomon's, Solomon's porch there. It tells us literally that they came around him. Literally in the Greek, it means they enclosed him. So if Jesus was walking, which would have been the norm of that day, they wouldn't just sit still being cold and damp. So they're walking along. Then all of a sudden, he is again surrounded by these Jewish religious leaders. And... um they stop him, and the reason they stop him is because they want his full, undivided attention. And they have it now, because he's not, he's not surrounded by a huge crowd like we saw the last couple of weeks ago, because of that woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, and then that whole incident about casting the first stone. It almost seems here, though, he is just surrounded by these religious leaders, and um, and they just, just want these answers or answers to their questions. Two questions, you know. How long will you keep us in doubt? And why, you know, why don't you just, just tell us plainly who you, who you are, you know. But what I want to say about those questions there, I want to kind of maybe um, stretch us a little bit here, is I find that those questions, well, they're dishonest questions. They're questions of entrapment. Because honestly, uh, Jesus couldn't have done any more and couldn't have, couldn't have said any more than what he's already told them, you know. But the, what, actually what this is, this is almost like an indictment or an accusation. What they're really asking Jesus here is, you really haven't given us enough evidence, you know, and he has. He goes, so we want you to tell us, play, you know, and what she had, the way Jesus is going to answer them is, you know, even if I did do another miracle, and even if I did say something profound, you are still not going to believe. Because it isn't an issue of the intellect, it's an intellect. It's an issue of the heart. And honestly, what you're trying to to do is support the reasons why you just will not receive me and receive the Father and what he has done. It's just a very dishonest way to approach somebody. And you know what, guys? Honestly, I just think that it's not... Look look at verse 25 before I go on with that, that, that thought. Jesus answered. He goes, look, I told you, but you don't believe. You believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. That is the proof. And, and you just, if you've ever read through the Gospels, if you've ever just taken that time, and, and maybe you're here today and you're just trying to figure this whole thing out, Christianity, spiritual stuff, you know, whatever. You know what I would say to you, and I'll probably say this towards the end of the message today is, just be honest. Don't try to find something in the Bible to support your premise, your ideologies, your whatever, to say, see, I told you. Go into the Word of God just with an open heart and just read the thing. Just open the pages. Look, you and I both know, the Christian should know, that the Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It knows my thoughts. It knows the intent of my life. It is that powerful. So when I am witnessing to some... Listen, Christian, dial it in right here. When I'm talking to a non-believer, I don't have to worry whether I have evangelism explosion down if I got all my techniques right, right? I just, oh, let me just give you the gospel of John and go home and chew on it for a while, right? But I will ask that person, just be honest with it. Just read it. Don't go in it with, with, with some kind of an agenda. Just go open and just, even if, you, even if you don't think it's prayer, but just say, if you're really up there, show me who you are. And I guarantee you, God will begin to work in your life and He'll open your eyes. See, listen, unless the Father is drawing you to the Son, you're not coming anyway. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit to, even to, to put a little seed of faith in your life. To even the desire to open that thing that we call our Bibles. It's an act of God. It's an act of His grace. Amen, church? Oh, that was weak. Amen? Amen? All right, come on. This is a beautiful day today for crying out loud. What's he say here in verse 26? You believe not because you're not my sheep, as I said unto you, See, they lack the disposition of a sheep. He wasn't saying, look, I want you to start growing out some wool. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I want you to go, bah. You, I'm just, you lack that disposition of a sheep, and we really covered that last week. They're not really sharp creatures, are they? They're kind of like, as one person said, they're as dumb as a bag of rocks. And, uh, and they really do. They need to be led. There's one thing going for this sheep, though. That once they know and they identify their shepherd, they hear the voice, they know his, his personality. That sheep knows everything about that shepherd. And, he's, and what, they're, what Jesus is saying there in verse 26 is, is three things really. They refuse to listen. Why would they refuse? Well, they're not part of the, the, the sheepfold. Number two, not only do they refuse, they don't even care to want a personal relationship with Him or the Father. They're coming to Him with these questions because they have an agenda. And number three, they are unwilling to follow. Did you ever hear someone saying, man, if I could just see a miracle then? Did that that help the nation of Israel? No, I mean the nation of Israel. Talk about eyewitnesses of miracles. A divine plan. I'm not going to belabor that. We talked about this on Wednesday evening. We're going through Jude right now. Man, they saw it all, but yet they fell into doubt and unbelief. And for some of them, it was even to their dismise, man. They were destroyed in the wilderness. Miracles will never bring anyone to the cross they won't it won't the gospel is the power unto salvation the death burial and resurrection of our Lord the working of the Holy Spirit in someone's life again notice notice verse 27 this is sort of some of the characteristics of that sheep number one they hear his voice you know And, you know, I also want to say this, not only does the Christian hear his voice from time to time, and I think I really hammered that home last week about challenging all of us as Christians that we should all be able to hear his voice. And if you're here today and you're saying, am I deaf? I don't hear him. No, I would say you're too busy. I would say you got if there 's other things in your life that are just a little bit louder you might have, you might want to pray about that and get rid of it. Does that make sense? You know sometimes our busyness can be louder than the voice of God. I know that from being around here, it gets so busy that I forget even to do a devotion in the mornings you know, and so that 's what I want to say, but even for the, the the one who we would say is not the believer somewhere at some point in time they will hear the voice they will hear a voice in their hearts might happen once might happen a million times but it will it'll be this come follow me it'll be a conviction about their sin it'll be a conviction about you know how separated they are from a loving god that loves them they will hear it because if they don't that makes god an unjust god everyone will have an opportunity to receive the truth or we would never be able to say, just and true are your judgments, O God. Make sense? Everyone will hear. Everyone. What they do with it. You could be like these Pharisees or these religious leaders and you have been raised with some type of ideology or some type of theology and you're so bent on that thing that when God wants to kind of break through, you can't hear His voice. Number two, he says he knows them in verse 27. They hear my voice and they know, and I know them. I know them. Now there are a lot of words for know in the Greek language. The one that we see here is gnoskos. It's not intuitive knowledge. It's a knowledge that we gain by experience. Now there are other verses that indicate that we have this kind of knowledge about God. But in this verse, the context, context is that he has this knowledge about us which tells me that God wants a personal relationship with us. He has never called us to be little puppets. There's no cookie cutter in heaven saying Christian 1, Christian 2, Christian 3, Christian 4. We all have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Personal, one-on-one. If you are predicating your salvation based on some type of religiosity or some type of church attendance, you're, you're falling short. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what we need to tell people, right? Well, I go to church. You know, I made the mistake one time, and, and I just, I don't know why, but I, the person said, Oh, I go to church. They said, Well, so does Satan. What's so what? Man, did that offend him? Geez. Not my church, he doesn't. Well, I was just trying to make a point, right? Well, I believe in Jesus, James, right? Well, so does does the devil believes in Jesus. So it doesn't matter. It's about your relationship with our Lord. Amen? And what we're really going to focus in on and in that relationship, in the sphere of that relationship, is to discover how much he loves us and how secure we are, man. Right? You're right, believer? So not only does he know us that way, we know him that way, Um, but they follow me. And that, that idea of a willingness to follow literally means also a willingness to obey Him. Jesus that now goes into one of the most beautiful declaration um, or discourse or whatever, I don't know how, but about the security of the believer. Now, sometimes this whole topic kind of rattles Christians, you know. Those who think they're so, you know, they're, Theologians now, they're saved six months and they're theologians. Um, you talk about the, the believer's security in Christ. and uh, I, I don't know, I don't, wanna, I don't want this to sound like a, a disclaimer, I, I really don't. But, um, I, you, you know, it, it, when we come here, let's just leave our theology out, outside, right? Doctrine is based upon three things, right? And that's something we don't leave outside, we bring our doctrine with us. Doctrine is when you see it mentioned in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's mentioned in the book of Acts. The early church is either engaged in it, practicing in it, but then it's expounded on in the epistles. When you have those three things, then we can say, that's doctrine, that's my conviction, right? Right? When we start to come up with things like Arminianism and Calvinism, we're talking about human response and God's sovereign plan for our lives. Folks, please tune in. That is something that you and I will never, ever, ever understand fully this side of heaven. We won't. Now, you might have your beliefs and opinions. Wonderful. We all should. The problem with some folks when they have opinions and beliefs They feel like everyone else should have the same ones, right? Ultimately, what happens? There's a rip down the church because I'm Arminianist and I'm Calvinist and I'm post-trib and I'm pre-trib and all that. Listen, I'm Jesus-trib. All I know is the dead in Christ will rise first. We that are alive remain on the face or will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You know, I always looked at it like this. If they're right, then I'll be wrong for seven years. If I'm right, they got to deal with it all through eternity. Right? Just saying. You have to think about that one, don't you? (laughs) I see the puzzled looks. But we are, this morning, going to be talking about the the believer's eternal security. But I want to show you why that you and I can be so, so set... In this idea that God has me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Most of you know that. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not. I'm with thee. Be not dismayed. You know, I am your God. You know, and he goes on. He says, I'll strengthen thee. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. I'm going to be the one that's holding you up. I had a guy tell me one time, yeah, but you can jump out if you want. Of course, he's an Arminianist. You can jump. Said, well, dude, wait a minute. I was a lot younger. Dude, wait a minute. I mean, that, that palm is the one that holds up the entire universe. You couldn't get from one knuckle to the other. It's a mighty righteous hand that holds us like this in the palm of his hands. Amen, guys? And that's how we're going to finish out this morning when I get get through these verses, I hope. Notice what he says here. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never, well, you can circle that one, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. Number one, we have eternal life. Listen guys, eternal life isn't something that we're going to have someday when we die. And too many believers, that's how they consider the eternal. When I die, I'm going to have eternal life, right? No, don't raise up your hands. But how many of us Kind of have settled into that kind of. No, the truth is that we have it now. We have eternal life now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall perish shall have what? Eternal life, right? Not that you're going to have it. You already have it. Once that which was dead caught in the trespasses of sin, he was dead inside and God's spirit comes into his spirit. He is now resurrected into what? That's sign language for life. Life, eternal life. Wait till you see how I finish this thing. Grand slam, man. The bambino. You know, as Christians, we should be pointing just like that. It's out of the park, baby. He says, You'll have eternal life, you will never perish. The metaphor in the Greek language literally means it means to to devote to give over to eternal uh, misery in hell. You know what, gang? The truth of the matter is, man, we will never, ever, ever perish. We will never ever face the judgment of God. Never. And I, you know, it breaks my heart when I hear Christians, you know, they're trying to, they're trying so hard at this thing that we call Christianizing it or Christianizing. Well, I'm going to be a, well, I'm afraid to go to hell. But I thought you were his child. Yeah, but still, there's still hell. We got to, we got to hang. On. Oh, boy. And you just want to sit down and love all, you feel bad for them. No, you won't face the judgment of God. Well, how can you be so sure, Herr? Because here, this is why I'm so sure. Because what Jesus said on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama shavakhthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would God forsake his own son? It was because God was judging his own son on my behalf. Jesus was judged for me. What a slap in the face to think God will judge me if I don't toe the line. Are you kidding me? Jesus was judged past, present, future, all my shortcomings. John the the beloved apostle said, Don't say you'll never have sin, you make God out to be a liar. But when you do sin, there there is not there's no such thing this side of heaven that is a perfect Christian, a sinless Christian. We will never face God's judgment because Jesus faced it for us. Now give me a strong amen. amen. And that's the truth. And let me tell you something, folks if that doesn't just bring joy to your heart if that doesn't just elevate you in your spiritual growth nothing will because I'll tell you what your tendency will be you will gravitate to the law and you will try to make it happen and you can't we either wrestle or we nestle that's Corey ten not ours right she learned to nestle and not wrestle We have too many Christians today who think they're into like this WWF thing, right? Wrestlemania. No, we're to rest in Jesus. Neither shall any man, he says in that verse, pluck them out of my Father's hands. The pull, no greater pull, can snatch us from the Father's hand. He has such a grip on us. No animal, no force. It's wonderful to realize that my salvation is based on Jesus's power to keep me. Do you remember, how many of you guys have raised kids? Just raise your hands. How many of you guys remember also taking them down at the shore? Right? You get close to the water, what is the first thing you ask for? Give me your hand. Why do you just give me your hand? And yet for the life of me, kids are crazy. I think kids are crazy. You know, here, here you are, you know, you're, you're facing life and death. Two foot waves coming in, you know, the kid sees it, and he wants to pull away, and you just keep holding on to it. You just keep holding on. You just keep that grip a little. I really think the kid's going to yank his arm out of joint he keeps pulling so hard. You see that even in the city with a mom holding on to her child's hand. You, it, can you imagine if I came up, you know, and you know, I lost a couple of my kids. They just wouldn't hang on to my hand. I told them to hang on. Look, I don't know, they might be to hear all the way down to the Outer Banks by now, I don't know. <laughs> well, we treat Christianity that way. We, we act like we gotta hold on to Papa's hand, we gotta hold on to Dad. If we don't hold on to Dad, there we go down into this current. God, oh, you don't realize, man. That is the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who took a little bit of mud and made man out of it and took something from a man and created woman. That's how you get that word, whoa, man, woman. And then, <laughs> but this is our God who sp- can speak something and he says, my hand, you, no one will statue from my hand, no one. And you know why it's so liberating? Because I know it comes from the Word of God. It's not out of a theological book. It comes right out of God. It's not about religion. It's not about theology. Do I think there's human response within the Christian walk? Absolutely. I would be foolish to think otherwise. But when it comes to this side of that side of heaven, he has me. And I'll show you where we're already seated in heavenly places. Already. My security is based on his grip. Look at verse 29 with me. Look what he says. He says, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Right? And then he says, I and the father are one. Now look, before I go into this verse, verses 31 through 32, and I'm not going to really go into a, a, a teaching on this to really understand this he the idea where he says Jesus took up uh, they took up stones to stone him and Jesus says well which work are you stoning me for and they're saying it's not because but because you called your and then he uses a verse out of Psalms where God calls messengers little gods literally and that what that means is that God had entrusted into man to take this message It's totally different but he's not saying that man can be God and I reason I throw that out there there is this really weird teaching that still exists today. It's not as big as it was back in the 90s, but it's called the, the, the God theory that you can be your own God. You can create your own destiny. That's foolish. You cannot, you're lucky to tie your shoes when you get up in the morning, some of us anyway. No, we, div- we totally rely on God holding us and taking us through the day, don't we guys? But where he says, I and the Father are one, the Jewish religious leaders took it as his declaration to be God, because we see later on they pick up stones to stone him. But in this context, what Jesus was trying to say in this context was, look, I have told you that no man can snatch you out of my, my hand. Now I've shown you that the Father can't snatch you out of his hand and now what I'm saying together is no man is going to snatch you out of our hands. That's what I and the Father means. Only showing the believer how secure you are in him. Makes sense guys. the um, one thing again and I and, and and I think this 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 truth about the security of the believer it should produce a lot of things in our lives but i don't have the time to go through all the things that it produces but the one thing that i i want to say that it should produce is a peace not peace with your fellow man yeah but, but peace with god you know i've been doing this a long time you know you know i should 20 uh, it's probably 30 years now but I find that, that there's this characteristic within or, or, or personality maybe it's the better word but there are some believers who get saved but they just never ever have peace with him I find it that usually it's somebody that comes out of a very legalistic system you know where they're always thinking they got to toe the line and you know I remember um, a denomination my wife and I were involved with years ago back in the 70s where you literally had to sign a document of uh, 16 things in order to join that particular denomination. You guys ever experienced anything like that where you had to sign something um in order to be a member of that church? And uh you know, and you look at those things and you want to be a part of of a church, you know, everybody does a Christian so you just take it for granted that it's scriptural. And before you know it, you start to follow those things. And before you know it, you're following a system rather than just following the Holy Spirit. And the thing, you know what happens is you lose the peace that you, you, you had when you first received Christ. When God made, made peace between you and Him through Jesus, that begins to wait away. and um, And until that person discovers the fullness of God's grace, I mean the fullness of it, he will always struggle and, there, and there's going to be always this uneasiness in his heart. And I don't believe God wants his children to live a life like that. Would you want your kid always trembling? How many of us grew up in abusive homes, you know? And when Pop came home, my goodness, were, the peace went right out the window. You just had to be careful. If you woke him up, that would be like facing God's wrath. You know, and it was just very in my home. Just you were always walking on eggshells. Let's, God doesn't want us walking around like that. He wants us to have a peace that surpasses human understanding. He wants us to have peace that where we can now look at God. Yeah, he's God. He's the creator. He is the one who will judge Satan and, and all who have rejected him. But He also says, but I want to be a God to welcome you into an inner sanctuary whereby you can call me Abba Father and that word Abba literally means dad now I, I don't do that in my prayer life I don't call him dad some people have done that Chuck Smith said one time when he was in um, I think it was like Italy or something like that He was in a prayer meeting and they were speaking in a native tongue and all. but he said he kept hearing the word Papa 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 and he realized they were addressing God and he said it just brought me so much comfort because that's the kind of relationship that God wants with his children a father-son, father-daughter relationship. Amen, guys? It brings tremendous peace in our lives. There are other passages, and, and Jen, if you're ready, I, what I did this time, I'm not big in using the projector behind me, and um, but I'm going to um, give them a heads up. with. But I, I have a, some other cross-references that I want to go to, and there's a quite a bit of them, so instead of me waiting for you to turn, I'm going to flash them Up here. And the first one I want to draw your attention to is Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And there it says, and we're going to read down to verse seven. It says, But God, who is rich in his mercy, for his great love wherewith he's loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. He's raised us up together. He's made us sit together in heaven, heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus our Lord. What I want to point out there is that that in him, he sees us as if we're sitting in Christ in heavenly places. He said, hi, hey, but we're still on the earth. Listen, as I had said earlier, when we start to talk about like eternal security and predestination, we're never going to get our minds totally wrapped around that because it deals with the eternal. We are finite, he is infinite, we are finite, folk you cannot you 've never experienced the eternal you won 't until you either die or you 're raptured that 's why he says we look through a glass darkly now, everything 's marred, and we don't but when we are face to face in the eternal, face to face, then we will know every. I will understand this verse in heaven, but I appreciate Paul the apostle says the way Jesus sees that this. We're already there. For the Christian, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, for whom God foreknow, foreknown. Uh, He also predestined to be conformed uh, to the image of his Son, That he might be the firstborn among brethren, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, he also justified, whom he justified, notice, them he also glorified, total glorification doesn't take place until we're in the heavens. When we receive that total glorification, a new body. Are we saved now? Yes, we are. Are we justified? Yes, we are. Are we totally glorified? Who's sinless right now? We will be one day. And he sees us as if we are glorified. He foreknew it in the eternal. He's justified us just as if we've never committed a sin. I can't see that. I can't tell you your pastor's sinless you ask grandma <laughs> or my grandchildren let's move down a little further John chapter 5 verse 24 verily verily I say unto you he that hears my words and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life you hear his word remember what I had said earlier everyone will hear everyone will hear that call sense a conviction He's got uh, everlasting life. Shall not come into condemnation, but pass from death into what life? John six thirty nine. This is the Father's will, which hath sent me. This is the Father's will, that all that of all which He hath given me, I should lose how many? Nothing, but re- should raise it up in the last day. He is not going to lose one not a single one of us single how many of you guys in verse uh, i'm sorry back in john where he says it's not i'm sorry john chapter five verse if you heard his word and you believe on him, how many of us has heard his word as convicted and then and now you have everlasting would you just raise your hand And if you're honest and you're not raising it because you're just not sure, I so appreciate your honesty. But for those who did raise their hand, they should know that this place in heaven has been reserved for them. That's how secure they are. He's never going to say, oops. Oops. My, I don't see her, so I'm safe. My dear wife. it wouldn't matter where I put the little thing for our keys. She just doesn't think they belong there. Or her glasses. I wish I could put like a beacon light on it where we could see it. She's always losing her glasses. He's not going to ever say, oops, I lost her." Never. It's not, why? Because he's got his grip on me. He's got his grip on me. Philippians 1.6 says this, and being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, gang, listen. We can be confident in this. We can be so sure of this. God is working in our lives. He's perfecting us until when? Until where it says there, until the day that is the rapture. When you are ushered into heaven, guess what? Work is done. But until then, we can be confident that, hey, how many of us have prodigals? They used to walk with the Lord, now they're not. We can be confident. They're in for a rough life because God's after them. Right? It's better just keep wa- Listen, kids, it's best just to keep walking with the Lord because if you try to meander away, man, he's got his watchdog out for you. 2 Timothy says this, chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. That word preserved literally means he will keep me safe until I reach that heavenly kingdom. He'll keep me safe. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Don't worry, I got 70 more. He says, in whom you also trust afterwards that ye heard the word of of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that is the word of truth, in whom also after that you believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory this is a beautiful beautiful verse here because to them to those people back then they understood this seal thing you and I it might be a little kind of a weird idea but back then like luggage if it was being transported would always get like his wax seal on it then the owner of that would have a signet ring on him he punched that wax to make that indentation that was his signature and that meant no one could open that luggage or that letter that until that owner had that signet ring right then that person could open it up see what you have on your heart of hearts gang is that this Seal this promise, and who signs it is the Holy Spirit of promise, and no one can come in and interrupt it, man. No one could even take it away or open that up. That's how secure you are. There is no one half's the devil's side, one half's the you know the the Jesus's side. You're you're all in or you're all out. There's not. Did you ever hear someone saying, "Well, he's really a good Christian, opposed to a bad one"? I you know, it's like saying he's really a good human being. Is he, if he's not, what's he half human? A Christian isn't a title. A Christian is a person. A Christian is a one whose life has been changed. And he's being conformed into the image of the Savior. He is a believer. And one day we will be with him in that glorified state. And boy, am I looking for that, man. I just started walking again. I want that new body. Again, we don't have a lot of time, do we? Let's wrap this thing up. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Am I good, Jen? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved where? In heaven for you, who are kept... Notice how you're... You're kept by the power, the dudamus, explosive power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time wherein we greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through the manifold temptation. They were really going through it. Same with you and I, guys. We go through some things that are sometimes really tough. You know, I'll never belittle someone's trouble or heartache. And sometimes I really ache with them when they go through it. But God's got you. I don't care if you've been diagnosed with something that's just scaring you or whatever. I think of my dear friend Deb. You know, God kept her. God kept her. Even if she went home to be with in heaven. God's got that. God has us. Amen, guys? Amen. Maybe you're going through something right now. You know, maybe you're single and you just think, You know, you're at the end of your rope. God's got you. You just have to sit down and and refocus and just thank God for His hand, His grip on you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will be with you to the end of the age. Romans 8, 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written. Talk about manifold temptations. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay all in these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm persuaded neither death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, death. Any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, the apostle Paul ransacks the entire universe on this one. Nothing. Do you get what he's trying to say to you, gang? So here, believer, tune in. Whenever you go through this thing where you're thinking, well, man, does he love me? Does he have his be- my, you know, my best interest in him? Does, does he, is, will this work out for his good? You just start to rebuke the enemy. And just start to claim the promises of God. Amen, guys. And just tell, even tell the enemy, you know, nothing will separate me. No matter what you're throwing in my mind, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Now, I'll finish you out with these two verses here. Greg, can you make your way up, please? Jude, Jude, we're in the middle of Jude right now. You know, it's funny, the book of Jude, it's just the, probably one of the shortest letters other than 3rd John. Um, you know, it's just one one little letter. And yet, I'm, I think Wednesday night, guys, when I'm week three, just going through this tiny little letter, I thought I was going to be done it in one Wednesday, but you just can't. And one of the reasons is verse 24 and 25, where it says, Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless. I have to stop right there. To present me what? From falling and to present me faultless before his presence with his... With his glory, uh, with exceeding joy. No wonder he ends that almost with a doxology. To the only wise God and Savior be glory, and majesty, dominion, power, and now and forever. Amen. We could say the same thing, right? Amen and amen and amen. There's so much more, gang. I'm sorry for running out of, out of time, but I would like, if you just want to fold up your Bibles a little bit and give me your undivided attention. The reason why I have so much passion about this, this, this teaching is because there's so many Christians and maybe it's just our human nature. I don't know. I'm not that smart of a man. But it just seems that a lot of Christians are just bent on beating themselves up. You don't need to worry about Satan being your enemy. You're your worst enemy. And I just... I just want you to stop that. It's not not right. Because what you're saying in a sense is that that what Jesus accomplished on the cross wasn't complete. You're either a child of God or you're making your way there. You either is or you ain't. I'm not trying to be condemning at all. But the full gospel, death, burial, resurrection, Jesus taking on our sin. You know, there are seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Seven statements, if you read through the whole account. And one of those statements is in the Greek, it's to let us die, to let us die. It's it's almost more of a phrase than it is a word. Some have translated means paid in full. Some have translated to mean it is finished, just like we read in the Bible where Jesus said it is done. Right after that, there was an earthquake. That earthquake went right up into the temple area, went right into the Holy of Holies, ripped the veil that separated man from God to expose man to God finally to have a relationship. It's done. So for the Christian to think I can add to it or worries that he's going to lose something. What you're saying in essence is it wasn't done. It wasn't. I don't fully understand it, but I do appreciate it. Amen. So if you're here today and you're wrestling with your salvation, you know, you're a child of God. I say this with gentleness, but you really do need to repent of that. Because it's a slap in God's face. It's a slap in His love. It, towards love for you. A dying love for you. Harry, you keep preaching these kind of messages, man. At least once in a while, dangle them over the fire, you know. You've got to tell Christians they can't live any way they want to live. You yeah, see, that's what theology does. See, the message about grace and the message about love isn't like I get to lay back and live any way I want. It's a message of response. When I discover how much He loves me and I discover how the grip that He has on my life, why on earth would I ever want to do anything evil with evil intent or wickedness towards the one who just demonstrated His love towards us? That's why Paul's saying being very confident of this one thing. I know how much he loves me. Man, and I know I want to love him back. My response is to walk like Jesus walked and pray to him and talk with him and walk with him through life's narrow ways. Why? Because he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. Let's stand together, folks. Would you just bow your head with me just for a second, please? If you're here this morning, that's so dumb, isn't it? If you're not, if you're here this morning, jeez, <laughs> Don't that sound like a chrisa- some evangelist? If you're here today, you know, I know you're here today. I'm looking at you. Sorry about that, but. But maybe you are here today and you've been struggling with your salvation. You know there was a time where you cried out to him and you have been just struggling. And you're worried. You're worried whether you're pleasing God or not. Would you raise your hand and just lower it? I just want to pray with you. And just lower it right back down. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Up and down. That's all I'm asking for. Is there anyone here today. That you don't know him at all. And you're just making your way towards that. And you want to know him that way. Would you just put up your hand. And lower it real quick. Let's pray together. Father we thank you Lord. Lord this is that question Lord. That's so real. Because I came from that Lord. With that mentality. That a that what I do either pleases you or displeases you. And whether you were happy with me or whether you're mad at me, I, I lived that for a few years. And I know that that, as Paul says, brings on death. It doesn't bring on life. You said, whom the Son of Man has set free, he should be free indeed. I pray for all of us, Lord, especially those that raise their hand. God, I thank you for... Their, their honesty god but lord i think grace is something that we experience it's not something we learn and i pray father that in the name of jesus you would open their eyes to the cross that you would show them that you said father forgive them you said it is finished you said lord into your hands do i commend my spirit and at that point in time, you gave us access to become a child of God. And I, don't, I know you don't want us to walk around like children that fear you. But you want us to be sons and daughters of God that love you and adore you. We admire you, Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to give us that power, the enablement, Lord, even if it meant martyrdom. We'd go, Lord, because we love you. Please keep this message fresh in our hearts, Lord. Let us not be as James described it, like the natural man looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets. Let us behold this truth, Lord, and let us embrace it and never let go of it. We love you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said together, amen. Amen. Make it quick, Greg.